With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is President, we need a National Guard. This one's for Pat. She's Anderson. is going to go all the way. And the Denver Broncos win the game. into a second episode of the Broncos Brawl podcast. My name is Keegan Hartman. You can find me on Twitter at KeeganHartman1. And as always, I am joined by the Alex Valdez. And you can find him on Twitter at the underscore Broncos on Twitter. And uh, Alex, how you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm getting over a cold, but I'm ready to talk some Broncos. Yeah. How, life out west, how's the weather? Is the weather weather doing all right out there? It's surprisingly dry, which okay. only means that it's just going to downpour us on us uh, here coming on in February. I was going to say, we're getting, the, we're getting the mile high weather here. It's, uh, it's a mix of rain, snow, ice, 30 degrees. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, you can but, keep that. So. I hate it. <laughs> well, we, uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with the uh, bombshell, if you will. If I do say so myself, we had a stellar first episode for Broncos Brawl last week. It wasn't too, wasn't too shabby. It was pretty stellar. So much so that, you know, I almost didn't know what to put together for this next show lineup that we were going to have today. And I guess the Broncos got my message, at least their front office did, and did a, made an interesting move by firing their offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarello, this past Sunday. And uh, Alex, I, I mean, there's really not much more to say. I mean, we'll get into the logistics of everything and we'll break it down. But what was your immediate reaction on Sunday night after they made this move, man? I guess what I was thinking when it really happened was continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, I had sent out a tweet a while back saying how excited I was that Drew Locke was going to have the same offensive coordinator, the same head coach. He was going to get all this experience in the off season. And then we were hit with this bombshell and it just kind of threw all that out the window. And you bring up a good point because when you go back to, uh, their press conference to open up the off season, uh, they were, they didn't really show any signs of it, uh, other than, and correct me if I'm wrong, they said something maybe along the lines of, we'll evaluate everything and see how we are. But the preconceived notion was, you know, you stick with the same offensive coordinator because you have such a young, uh, quarterback and he's, he's getting accustomed to the schematics, but they saw they saw fit otherwise and went out and got uh, New York Giants head coach, former head coach that is, 
Pat Shermer. So Pat Shermer had coached the New York Giants for two seasons, held a held the job as the OC for the Minnesota Vikings prior. Uh, names along the way, Browns, the he was on the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff under Andy Reid and also the Vikings and the Browns to name a few. I think I already said those. I'm repeating myself, uh, but uh, not, not a, not a bad pickup there. I, at first, my reaction was simply, um, okay, he was nine and 23 in his two seasons with the giants. But what do you think of the, the turnaround so quick? I mean, we were so, so quick. We couldn't even react as a fan base, this pickup in general. What do you, what do you think about Pat Shermer's name being thrown in? If it's going to be so quick, it obviously had to be something that Alway and or Vic, which I'm hearing it's more of a Vic move. Um, Mm -hmm. It's got to be a Vic, um, something he already had in mind. Um, So it wasn't something that they just did. You know, Pat Shermer became available, so they hopped on it. No, it was something that had to be in the works for um, at least a couple weeks. Well, I mean, nonetheless... On paper, yes, we the Broncos did finish seven and nine, but you look at Scangarello's efficiency, and it's the worst numbers, at least in one category, the worst numbers since 2011. But uh, you know, Scangarello, you could kind of see it toppling over in week, I would say, around week 11 when they faced off against the Minnesota Vikings and kind of went conservative in the second half, and we'll dissect that in a minute, but. Let's talk about Scangarello and, you know, where he came from and then how he got this job and kind of touch on, you know, his his performance throughout the uh, duration of last season. So we brought him in last year. He was a quarterback's coach under Kyle Shanahan when he was with the San Francisco 49ers. He had previously served as the offensive quality controls coach for the Atlanta Falcons in his previous time uh, to the Niners gig. But the Broncos being his first major coordinator gig on the professional coaching scale for uh, Rich Cangarello, that is. And let's just say, you know, his first date obviously was not the best. Uh, granted, again, Broncos recorded a 7-9 record. Uh, but under Scangarello, these were the worst numbers we have seen since 2015 in terms of offensive efficiency. And uh, Mike Quist was quick to point out after the firing of Scrangs uh, that we were in the cor- categories the with categories that we had we were bottom five in all four major offensive metrics including points yards third down percentage and red zone percentage so i ask you do you think um i i guess i don't know how to how to how to phase this question what do you think about the metrics aspect of things um you know how he performed do you think it how would you grade it in general in terms of side uh, aside from what people are trying to say, how would you rate his uh, him coming in and filling that void at OC temporarily? How do you think he did in terms of previous offensive coordinators for the Denver Broncos? <laughs> I mean, I guess we're looking at a guy who we were, everyone in Broncos country wanted Kyle Shanahan, not Vance Joseph. Mm-hmm. We went with Vance Joseph and, it almost felt like when we brought in Rich Scanagrella was that they were having a little bit of buyer's remorse, the Vance Joseph, and they hoped they could get Kyle Shanahan light in the offensive coordinator, and that just did not translate. Um, his inability to adjust when it came to second-half adjustments, when was the last time you ever saw the Broncos on the bottom third of the league in rushing 
I mean, that's something that we could always just lean our hat on as, you know, Broncos country is always going to be, you know, a run first, uh, especially in a West Coast offense where it's a zone blocking scheme. You know, mm-hmm. You're always going to have your thousand yard back. Um, I'm pretty sure Lindsey got there, but it was it was an iffy thousand yards. Oh yeah, and and that, that especially in Week 17 against the the Raiders to close out the season, you almost thought that he was going to go down because at the very end it was kind of they were kind of taking a a backpedal and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa get him off the field <laughs> once he yeah. hits his thousand, don't don't push your push the envelope with how the offensive line's playing. But yeah. you brought up the the rushing offense. It was 20th in rushing offense, 31st in third down conversions for the Denver Broncos offense this year. And like I said, the Broncos hadn't seen this bad in third down conversions since they had they had finished 29th in 2011 uh, under John Fox. And hell, that's still better than Scrangs. Uh, Scrangs got it at so. Um, <laughs> I will break but down I do, this. I oh, do, go ahead. I do wonder: are we are we being a little unfair to Rich Gangarello? I mean, we did take away uh, Emmanuel Sanders midseason, um, and then with this porous offensive line, we gave him an over-the-hill Joe Flacco, and then we gave him Allen for what is it, three games, which it was fun for the first, and then it was just not good for the other two. Um, and then we gave him a rookie to play with in the last five games. So I mean. While his inability to adjust in second halves was questionable, um, I don't believe that we gave him the best chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. But you can't argue with bringing in the experience of Pat Shermer. Well, I will ask this out there: When was the tipping point? Because I mean, I can only wonder what <laughs> what Denver fans were thinking all season, especially being in that in that area. What was the tipping point you think? Um, from the outside looking in for Rich Gangarello's job security? When do you think it was at its peak and uh, ultimately there could have been a chance? You might have thought there might be a chance we not we won't see him at the end of this season. When do you think that game was, if you could pick any? It was probably coughing up that huge lead we had in, in Vikings Stadium. Mm-hmm. Hey, I would agree 100%. And, you know, I think to I think to back that up, you you look at uh, and it was it was it was mind blowing to me in week thirteen when Drew Locke got his first start against the L.A. Chargers is I believe in the press conference at the end of the game, Drew Locke alluded to the fact that his first professionally professional thrown touchdown, his first career touchdown, was uh, to Cortland Sutton, and it was a fade route. And I remember, I think he had said something along the lines, he called it audible. He said, instead of running the route that he was given, I told him, hey, run a fade. And uh, it ultimately worked out, and Drew Locke was able to get it there. But then also at the end of that game, uh, Rich Gangarello, his mindset was to knee the ball and go to overtime, and F- Fangio overruled that, and they took a shot downfield and uh, ultimately got the penalty, kicked the field goal, ended the game. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think— earlier in the season, Joe Flacco had publicly questioned the play calling as well. I think it was a lot to do with what the quarterbacks were seeing and like, yeah, you alluded to it. That's a, that's a good point because he talked about it. uh, I believe it was after Indianapolis when they lost to Indianapolis, he was like, you know, we need to get our play calling correct. And we just can't keep having, we, we can't keep calling this, this kind of game. It's just the same result every single time. So yeah, reevaluate that, but you bring a good, bring up a good point with that. But, um, 
you talk about the relationship uh, with bringing in Pat Shermer. So I want to talk about Pat Shermer now. So Skangs is gone. Um, bring him in. Pat Shermer, known to be a fanboy of Drew Locke. Uh, of course, his son. And I don't know if this has much to do with it. But, you know, he had a little more notice of Drew Locke because his son, Kyle Shermer, came out of Vanderbilt last year, an SEC team. So he, I'm sure he had an idea of who Locke was. But, uh, you know, what do you think about the the relationship? We've heard all these things, and of course, I kind of have an idea. But I want to ask you, what do you think about Pat Shermer coming in and working with a young gun like Drew Locke? Uh, how do you think that relationship meshes, and what's the outlook on that? <clears throat> well, I guess what we were doing with uh, Rich Gangarella was it was basically the poor, or what is it, the blind leading the blind. Whereas <laughs> you have Pat Shermer at this point, he's bringing one thing that. Rich Gangarella could never bring, which is experience. Um, Just the calming effect, knowing that, you know, you have this guy that has been in the situation. Honestly, it might be petty to everyone else, but I never understood having offensive coordinators in the booth as as opposed to being on the field where Rich Gangarella was always in the booth. You would think that, you know, you go and talk to your guys. What did you see? What did you not see? Like, why did you run this play? Why did you run this route? What was your hot read on this? Mm-hmm. It never under never made sense to me where Scangarella was upstairs. Mind you, you can talk to them on the phone. You can talk to them um, in their helmets and whatnot. But being able to have that one-on-one just on the sideline like Shermer likes to have, it's invaluable, really. And I think you bring up a good point with, uh, you know, having that interaction, because I know from the film that I've seen, at least for the Minnesota Vikings in the New York, well, of course, with the New York Giants, but uh, going even in when he was with Philadelphia, you would notice that he's very interactive with his with his players. Uh, Stefan Diggs talked about that building a relationship with with Shermer as a, as a coordinator uh, when he was with Minnesota. But he's very interactive and he has like this uh, this expectation for each individual player and I think that's interesting uh, considering the fact that you know this is how he differentiates from what we've had previously Uh, but yeah I I really like the fact that you know he's more interactive and might have a higher standard and expectation for his players uh, coming into Denver but uh, you go back to the experience aspect of things Pat Shermer, and I tweeted this out earlier, uh, appreciate the tweet, love. Um, so <clears throat> combining all the coordinators, uh, the average age of this, uh, this coordination, this staff, the major coordinators, the average age was 58 years old. How do you think um, this meshes with the young talent that we've had? Of course, Pat Shermer comes over from a team that's that's pretty young in age uh, and similar mirroring um, – how would you say positions? How do you think that affects this young squad that the Broncos have with Pat Shermer coming over? Um, honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, you never know. Cause we have Vic Fangio. Who's, I mean, what is he pushing 70? He's in his seventies, but I mean, I think it was Emmanuel Sanders who, what was it a couple of weeks ago where he said, you know, when he went over to the 49ers and he's got like players texting and on their phones and there's music blasting. And it was like, he said that somehow the coaches were reaching him better. But honestly, when I read that tweet, it didn't make sense to me because he says, you know, it's a maturity thing and like 
you know, touching your players is better. But it didn't make sense considering, I mean, don't we, you know, tell our kids not to be texting during class and to paying attention and all that. You have guys like Vic Fangio and Donatel and, excuse me, and then you have uh, Pat Shermer coming in. These guys have just tons of experience and not only experience, but reverence coming into the league. Um, something you can't ever take away is the fact that these guys are going to be demanding um, respect from anyone from players to, I mean, it's not going to happen, but I mean, say you bring in a Tom Brady, Tom Brady's not coming in here and, you know, undermining uh, a Vic Fangio. Mind you, I don't want to bring up that Tom Brady scenario. It's just, it's just, <laughs> just an example. But that experience goes a long way in teaching these guys because, I mean, there is nothing that Vic Fangio has not seen. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that Pat Shermer has not seen, has not run. He's run um, gap schemes. Um, mm-hmm. He's run zone blocking schemes. He's run with fullbacks. He's run without fullbacks. He's run double tights, three wides. He's seen it all. So there's really, unlike Scangarello, who's you know pretty much been under Kyle Shanahan's wing this entire time, mm-hmm. you're going to have Pat Shermer, who's really just been flexible with all of his players. So that kind of thing goes a long way. I think, you know, with the age thing, this is this is arguably a top five, one of the youngest rosters in the NFL right now, uh, given all the pieces that you have and especially the production. It's really shocking, quite frankly. You know, they're, they're playing all these close football games, but they just can't get over the hump. And I think the, the one step back for them, you know, reevaluating it and reflecting as a fan of this team, you know, looking at Rich, I think it all fell back on the offensive coordination and the offensive play calling and the relationship that there was between the people that were calling the plays rich gangarello and and the offense and 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 the proof is in the pudding you know you look at the the numbers that they had but i think that you bring in pat Shermer, who has had success he was the assistant coach of the year with the minnesota vikings back in 2017 i think he's he's the number one benjamin albright said it best in his podcast number one uh, offensive coordinator that we've had in the past five years for the Denver Broncos. And I think he's he's out to prove that. And I think coming in with the, another young squad that he has, I, you know, the, it's going to be it's going to be a tight ship. I think they're going to run a tight ship, all the offensive coordinators, but I think it's going to mesh really well. And I think the end product is going to be long awaited for this Broncos fan base that's been much deprived. Well, let me ask you a question. Would let's say the Broncos add five to six more touchdowns to the end of the season? I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like a ton, but if we're looking back at how many close games they did lose this this season, what are we looking at? We're looking at nine and seven, ten and six at this point, just because we're scoring an extra touchdown. We're scoring an extra six points a game. It's that kind of things that Pat Shermer, if we're talking about a team that's, you know, death by inches, if we're Uh talking about closing down those gaps in or those laps in judgment. Yeah, that can go a long way just in having great teachers and a guy who's got the experience behind um, the whistle. 
And, and and that's an excellent point because you hit it right on the head. You know those those extra those extra plays. That's that's what's going to help your offense and just the, that extra inch. Really, um, I'm looking back on it. One of the stats that I found interesting from last season's offense under Skangs was the fact that of the 170 drives that the Broncos had, they were only able to score 33% of those drives. That was 25th in the NFL last season. And in terms of scoring drives ran for Shermer's Giants, he was 14th in scoring drives. And he was 19th in third down conversions. So I think, uh, you know, in his margin, I think we ran, what, 983 plays uh, on, on offense. And he ran about uh, 1,083 for for the Giants and I think that can go a long way and our efficiency we can see an improvement um, and, and that's going to be the crucial counterpart I really do think and I've been convinced that Pat Shermer coming in given the 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 meshing that he's had the the liking he's had of Drew Locke coming in I think everything's going to mesh and this could potentially be the piece that puts you into the postseason so I definitely can see why uh a crucial counterpart for for Denver this this season, but uh, and no offense to Giants fans, but outside of maybe Saquon Barkley and maybe Nate Solder at left tackle, I mean, there's not a player on that Giants team that is better than the Broncos on offense. Oh, I agree, I agree, but they do share the same con- characteristics in that they're young and they're promising. Um, you know, Philip Lindsay. Honestly, I look back on it. it, it do I think that Saquon Barkley should have received Rookie of the Year? I'm a little biased when I say this, but no, I don't think he should have received Rookie of the Year when he did. I think, I think it should have been Philip Lindsay. You look that he had averaged more yards off of less carries than Saquon Barkley from the line of skirmish. So that in and of itself, I think the name just sold that he should have received the Rookie of the Year. But that's a whole different story. Um, but sticking with, sticking with, you're the not going to get a big argument from me, man. I, I just think I think it's ridiculous. I think you're going to get more efficiency out of Philip Lindsay and uh, segue here. So transitioning over to to what Pat Shermer runs. I watched film. I'm going to be honest with you. I only watched a little bit of film from his from his Minnesota Viking days. And I found it interesting uh, going. You talk about his run game. Uh, I think he can reestablish the run game. You alluded to Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To it earlier. Um, interesting fact I found of Shermer's West Coast offense. The Vikings ran 47% of the time overall uh, in 2017. And on first and 10 situations, it was 61% of the time that the Vikings ran the ball. What could you what what could we see f- uh, in terms of efficiency from Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay? What is the ceiling for them and the expectation with Pat Shermer coming in and filling the void at OC? Everything I hear from the Pat Shermer, you know, 
camp and everyone like hyping him up and everyone that's been brought on to talk about him has said that he doesn't try to fit the uh, player into the scheme. It's usually the scheme around the player. I've heard um, so honestly, it doesn't make much sense. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get killed on this, but it doesn't make much sense to be using Philip Lindsay as a Balco you know, bell cow kind of back, um, mm-hmm. running him up the gut and getting him slammed, you know, 20, 30 times a game doesn't make sense to me. Um, the guy is built with, what is it? What do you run? I mean, a four, three, three at his pro day. It's uh, ridiculous. And we are running him right up the gut, smashing him right into the back of guards. It doesn't make sense. So swapping roles for him and Freeman sounds perfect to me. And that's something that Pat Shermer should recognize. And if we're both being honest, we're going to be drafting or bringing in a running back. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you talk about talk about Royce Freeman real quick. So here was I mean, you let's OK. First of all, let's establish who Pat Shermer's worked with in his past. Names like Sean McCoy when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles, even though he held jobs, I believe it was as the quarterback's coach and the tight ends coach. But nonetheless, it was under Andy Reid's uh, tenured as the Eagles head coach and whatnot. And then you talk about uh, running backs like Dalvin Cook. And uh, yeah, I believe he would have had a stint with. No, it would have been before Todd Gurley, but uh, Dalvin Cook nonetheless. And then just Jackson. Steven Jackson, yes, there, there you go. <laughs> Steven Jackson, when he was with the Rams back in like 2011 and 12, mm-hmm. and then most recent, of course, being Saquon Barkley. I think Royce Freeman fits the bill for given the running backs that he's been around, and it's no, it's no offense to Philip Lindsay because Philip Lindsay has been the backbone, arguably, to the Broncos' offense, in uh, especially last year. I think that Royce Freeman gets a little bit more responsibility, and we need a clear room. I think you're right when you when you bring up the fact that we need to bring in another running back. Devontae Booker needs to get out of there. Honestly, I think you need to you Surprised need to bring in. He still has a job. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, please, d- d- uh, fire the guy. He needs to be unemployed. The Cowboys used to be, I think they were big fans of him. They were fanboying him. Why not trade him to the Cowboys? Get something for it. But nonetheless. Yeah, get, a, get a tenth round pick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get, get one of those. But uh, <laughs> but bring in bring in someone uh, that can that can fill up the depth chart and be worth a damn, uh, quite frankly, uh, to complement the, the play of Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. But, yeah, I like Royce Freeman's uh, impact next season. I think I could put I can invest in that. Um, but if, schematically, if talking, I mean, yeah. if we're talking about what uh, Pat Shermer likes to do with the running back, he is going to like to. Um, like I said, he's run his power gap. Um, oh, he's yeah. run his zone blocking scheme, which is basically a stretch to the right, a stretch to the left, um, and you know, putting your foot in the ground and getting it upfield. <clears throat> but what he really likes out of his running backs are uh, safety valves. Mm-hmm. If we're being honest, we don't have a pass catching running back that scares anyone. Um, as much as I love Phil, um, he could work on his hands. Um, yeah. In the draft, we could look at a guy like LSU's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I believe his name is. Shorter guy, but the guy was money this year for LSU. He was third in the nation, I believe, in uh, pass catching for a running back. And it just would add another level to this offense. Say, you know, you've got Drew Locke, he's scrambling to the right, and his one read is there. It's not there. Yeah. You've got Sutton running down the field and, you know, there's a safety coming over the top and, you, you know, he's just going to get blown up. 
you've got fan crossing mm-hmm. and you've got a, a linebacker covering him. Who else are you going to pass to? And honestly, it should be Philip Lindsay. Yeah, but it's not. We have used, which is odd, considering you would think that Philip Lindsay would be the pass catching running back, and Royce Freeman would be the you know the smash him and lighten you know lighten the load up for Philip Lindsay. Third down back. Exactly, it was the other way around. Um, I know they wanted uh, Theo Riddick to work out, who was arguably one of the best pass catching running backs over the last five years, um, but he got hurt, and we know the rest of that story. Yeah, injury um, injury prone very much. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, in free agency, I mean, we could look at a guy like, uh, I don't know, Chris Thompson from Washington, um, also injury prone, but um, say you're not going to be running him as much as Washington tried to run him. Um, great pass catching back. Amir Abdullah, again, um, I don't know what it is with these hurt running backs, but the guy— Especially from Detroit. Yeah. Um, and then you could always bring back Theo Rick and, you know, try him out. But honestly, I'm one of those guys that will never take a running back in the first round just based on this simple fact of the three guys I just listed. All of them got hurt. It's the most beat up position ever. So it makes no sense investing that much, um, draft capital in some guy that's going to get hurt in two, three years. So picking up a guy in the fourth round, um, a vet free agent that you're just like Theo Riddick, um, someone like that, I think would be just add another dynamic to this offense. Could I give you a name? Let's hear it. I was just, I was just looking at it and I'm like, oh, well, you might be able to give it a shot. It's just, it'd be like, it'd be a veteran minimum contract. Like it wouldn't be anything too major because these past couple years, he just hasn't shined like he used to. But Washam McCoy is a name. Washam McCoy is a free agent. Uh, okay. Size. Yes. All right. I kind of, I, okay. I retract, um, names like, I don't know. I'm looking through, I see him, but all these other ones, you, you see like names like Omar Miller injury prone. That's just the problem is injuries, man. It's just <laughs> the injuries are like keeping you back from signing any of these free agents. And LaShawn McCoy has had his fair bout with, with injuries, but you talk about his connection with Pat Shermer. I thought eh, might not be a bad yeah. Bad concept. And, and as much as I want to dream about having a Derrick Henry, it goes to the same um, train of thought of having, you know, investing so much in your draft capital in a running back. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be paying Derrick Henry $13 million that he's going to command on the open market. As mm-hmm. much as I'd love to see that freak of nature behind the offensive line, it's it doesn't make much financial sense to ever pay a running back that much. And as I say that, you know the Broncos are probably already looking at him. And, you know, you talk about, uh, I would say about, I was going to say about Derrick Henry, as much as, as attractive as it is, 100, 100 and, uh, what was it, 95 yards against the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, that's pretty efficient. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that'd be something, uh, you know, you definitely want to invest your money in. But, of course, thir- $13 million is a big price tag. So transitioning, you know, I want to talk about this this receiving core that you're looking at with the Denver Broncos. Um, what do you what do you foresee next year with Shermer coming in? What do you foresee as far as the responsibility for uh, the Denver Broncos receiving cores? Um, well, he runs a lot of three wide receiver sets. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, he runs a lot of them. Uh, we already know Sutton's going to be on the field, and I feel like most fans are okay with Tim Patrick being on the field. I mean, the guy 
his money when he's on the field. But again, it's just this whole health issue. You, your best available, your best ability is availability. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a guy like uh, Henry Ruggs, we already know everyone's in love with him. The dude, I think he was like three miles slower than Usain Bolt. I think they measured. Um, <laughs> give me that guy every day of the week. But is he going to make it to the Broncos at fifteen? You have a guy like uh, Jalen Rieger, who's a borderline first-round pick um, mm-hmm. from TCU. And then you've got a guy like uh, K.J. Hamler from Penn State. I know a lot of people, it doesn't make sense to me where people, you know, school scout, you know, they mm-hmm. say, okay, well, uh, Deshaun Hamilton came from Penn State. So obviously K.J. Hamler, who's also coming from Penn State, is not going to work out. It yeah. makes no sense to me. It's a different player, different circumstances, everything. I want to get a field stretching guy that can pull safeties off of Cortland Sutton. That can you imagine Cortland Sutton one on one all game with someone? It would be amazing. <laughs> you, you, or, you brought in Tim Patrick on mm-hmm. curl routes just with his gigantic six five body, you know, going over the top on guys. I was gonna I was gonna mention that that Jalen Rager man. I watched his film the other night. I went down. I my dad he's he's a big uh, football connoisseur himself, but he brought that name up to me, and I was like, I don't pay attention to much Big Twelve action because I mean, I'm an SEC guy. But you know, I sat down there and I watched Rager, and man, he's just good in open field. He's so fast, and I would I would go out on a limb to say that his his speed is underrated. You know, looking at him and then looking at Henry Ruggs, and I'm like. These guys are reflective of one another. Like Jalen Rager, dude, and he's a return man. He's dangerous as a return man, but he's dangerous in open field. I think he could uh, he could spread the field uh, and give Drew Locke an option in terms of speed. But yeah, uh, overall, right now the SEC in me, I'm invested in Henry Ruggs because I just I see reflection of Stephon Diggs and Henry Ruggs in some ways um, you know as far as his, as far as his footwork and his speed I would say he's got the one up but I see a little bit of Stephon Diggs in him nonetheless in terms of size and whatnot and I think that he could work right into Pat Shermer's Pat Shermer's offense I, I would I definitely think, take I, a look I don't think there's really a a defense in the league that can, if you get Ruggs or Hamler or Rieger on a free release, you know, let's say um, they're coming out of the backfield and they have all this speed going upfield, who's covering that? I mean, really, I mean, you're basically pulling linebackers, you're pulling safeties back. And at that point, now you can just hand the ball right back up to Philip Lindsay. Or I guess well, right now it's Philip Lindsay. But yeah. Let's say they evaluate it from this standpoint. You know, you look, you still look at Tristan Wirfs in the first. Uh, and yes, he does play right guard, which I just now took note of that. But I mean, maybe you can experiment and still try to fit him into the bill. But maybe looking at Jalen Rager in the second round, I feel like he could still fall. Uh, according to Walter football, I want to say he's the fourth best receiver on their list, fourth or fifth right now. Uh, but I, I think he's the second round. I think he could fall down to, to the mid second round where Denver could maybe snag him. Uh, but you know, that's just a that's just a fallback plan, a theory. I think he'd be a great pickup for Pat Shermer's offense, but I 
nonetheless, I think that wide receiver is definitely back into the picture. And whether it's evaluated in free agency or in the draft, it's a it's a point of emphasis now that Pat Shermer's running the show for their offense. Um, well, yes. one note on uh, Jalen Rager: if he runs a sub four, he's definitely gonna might sneak into the first round. Um, you mentioned that True. Tristan Wirfs is a uh, right guard right now. I mean. I guess the one thing the Broncos have going on offense, which as terrible as it sounds is outside of center, their entire offensive line is set. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got bulls at left tackle. You've got all pro should have been all pro Dalton Reisner at left guard. You need someone at center, which um, that's something we can talk about later today. Yeah. We've got Wilkinson at right guard. And as much as everyone hates Juwan James or despises how he hasn't been playing, I've been one of those cynics. The guy was money in his three games that he actually did play. You can't argue that. Um, and he got paid a right, like, what was it? The highest right tackle contract in NFL history for a reason. I mean, the guy is money. We just need to get him on the field. Yeah. So there's no real rush to get Tristan Wirfs on the field. So if we're trying to replace, um, I don't know, a guy that who rhymes with something, you know, holds, um, you know, we can always we can always take our time on that. I mean, there is somewhat of a rush to get that left tackle solidified for the next decade, but we we do have bulls there. From from everybody that I've been hearing and checking up on on Twitter, the the thing is right now with Bulls is they want to they want to keep him and experiment, you know, starting with where he is, maybe and it's it'd kind of be similar to what they did with Schofield, I believe, because he he was Garrett Bulls before Garrett Bulls was Garrett Bulls in my opinion. Schofield couldn't guard air. But uh, they shifted him in, shift him into guard. I want to say, and he he fit right in. I mean, he played he played well. So maybe that's just the step that they need to take for Garrett Bowles is experiment experiment with him across the line, be it you know right guard, left guard, left tackle, wherever he needs to be, and uh, you know see if he's if he's fit there. But yeah, you know I agree with the fact that. You still take your time and work with Jawan James, uh, Reisner, evaluate the guard position. I'm just, I'm sold on, you know what? You can find something better. The right guard position uh, need to go out and and, and, and reevaluate that. Or left guard, excuse me. No. Yes. Right guard. Right guard. I was right. I was right. Right guard. But anyway, nonetheless. Um, but the point being is, is they are not desperate for it, which is, I think Alway wants to go into the draft never having a, a big hole anywhere on his team. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes, 100%. Um, so transitioning into this, I believe one of the final things we talk about is who benefits most from this. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question straight up. Who benefits from the most could we see next year from Pat Shermer's new schematics? It's no doubt. It's no offense. I agree. And it has nothing to do with his blocking, which is oddly enough. Uh, let me read you this. Pat Shermer was actually the tight ends and quarterbacks coach at Michigan State is how he started his, I don't know, his coaching uh, career, I would say, yep. for about seven years. Mm-hmm. He was a tight end coach for the Eagles for a couple of years. He helped turn around 
uh, no names like Chad Lewis into mm-hmm. a Pro Bowl tight end um, in back-to-back years in 2000-2001. And he was the tight ends coach for a guy named Kyle Rudolph, who most people, <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I'm not sold on Kyle Rudolph. I just think that he's been um, the best of not a great circumstance as far as receiving options until they finally got digs. And uh, I mean, his best running mate was Corderell Patterson for a while there in uh, Minnesota. So it wasn't great, but nonetheless, Kyle Rudolph was a pro bowler. If anyone's going to benefit from Pat Shermer's offense, it's going to be Noah Fant, who's honestly, it's going to start looking like um, a gigantic slot wide receiver. Um, If we're looking at kind of a, it was a Jimmy Graham kind of um, tight end at this point. Yeah, and you know, you talk about, I agree 100% that it's going to be Noah Fant that's going to work himself into the biggest piece of that offense. But the blocking thing, when you watch Kyle Rudolph, um, he's kind of, watch his film in downfield, they run those three receiver sets and they usually split them out wide, but he's sort of, kind of like a blocking decoy uh, where he allows the smaller receivers to kind of get underneath between the hashes and make plays. And he's, he's kind of eliminating, you know, in some scenarios, not all of them, but he's kind of eliminating, uh, you know, any of the coverages across the middle. Uh, They're using him as a decoy. But uh, what I learned from these three man and four man sets is, yeah, you're going to get more of the screen plays. You're going to get more of the underneath throws, the between the hash passes and I, that's, I mean, that's right up fans alley. So I think, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be some efficiency from on fans and, and on Fumagalli's nonetheless. Yeah. If we're talking about tight ends that have been, uh, under Shermer, I mean, um, he's had pro bowlers in Jordan Cameron. Um, of course the aforementioned Kyle Rudolph. Um, and then honestly, if I could have any tight end, um, have Fant be like, um, it'd be Zach Ertz who has just taken his game to another level. He's not on that Travis Kelsey or Kittle level, but he would be the next guy right after them. And then of course he found a way to make a very, very undersized Evan Ingram, um, mm-hmm. tight end into, um, honestly a, a real weapon, um, between the hashes. Yeah. And, um, I gotta ask, I, I might be a few years off, do you think he had any time with Brent Selleck when he was with Philadelphia? He did, or, but Brent Selleck was more of their pass cat or their uh, blocking tight end. Um, okay. I'm not sure if that's really uh, indicative of a Shermer offense, but um, Selleck was their fullback there. He was basically their Jeff Hireman at the time, um, but he was just really good at it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I know I was looking at uh, Selleck's uh, – stats last night and they weren't overwhelming but i mean they were i mean i'd take those stats on the broncos any day well you talk about the blocking aspect of things how does it how does it impact the run game for the broncos um do you think that fant and fumagalli's responsibility i mean i know you of course you alluded to the fact that it's not really going to be more so blocking but uh um you know, in those situations, do you think they're going to have more of a responsibility? Uh, given the fact that, you know, in years past, Denver's kind of relied on the tight end sets uh, as, as you know, second secondary blockers. Um, but, yeah, go right ahead. What do you think? 
I'm not sure Fant takes on that blocking responsibility as uh, as much as we um, as much as I would want him to. Just um, for the fact of you know he would be on the field more, which means you know say you audible out of a run play, then now you're turning it into a pass play that Fant can get in. Um, but now we're looking at a guy like um, a Jeff Hireman, who's going to be on the field a lot more. Um, it might even be a tell for the defense. Jeff Hireman's on the field. He's a better blocker than Fant right now. Um, but yeah, if Hireman's on the field, you know it's either going to be a block or it's going to be um, a chip on you know an opposing outside linebacker. Okay. All right. Well, I guess very last is you know we talk about who's going to be the most efficient. Um, who do you think? Let's go to the bad side of things. Who do you think's going to struggle the most in terms of this, um, and who might not might who shouldn't need a job uh, might not have a job uh, when it's all said and done in terms of our offensive roster. Oh man. If (laughs) I'm going to get killed over this one, but it's going to be Andy Janovich Um, last year, last year, the giants ran with a fullback 2% of the time. Um, I went and looked back at, uh, I was trying to find honestly their best fullback from last year's roster. And it was actually um, and his name escapes me now, but he was actually going to be um, Andy Janovich's um, second string fullback uh, entering the Broncos camp. We cut him. Uh, the Giants picked him up and they really never ran with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny, too, because um, his his picture is just the guy has no neck. It's just nothing but traps. <laughs> Obviously, looks like a fullback. Uh, but Big yeah, it's, um, from what I understand, it's. They're going to have, you know, Andy Janovich is going to be his normal, um, you know, base wrecking uh, self on special teams. But um, now we're looking at him. They're really going to have to get creative if they want to get him on the field because they'll run double tight ends if they have to uh, most times. Or if they're going to be on the goal line, um, I've seen them pull in extra offensive linemen as tight ends. Um, I use air quotes on that one. Um, But, yeah, it's – it's been a while since Schirmer's really instituted a uh, instituted a fullback. I can't wait to see what this this whole tight end tight end scheme looks like on field and uh, how efficient it's going to be because I think Pat Schirmer he flips the script for the Denver Broncos in terms of all aspects. I mean, you look at you know how he was able to take Thielen and and Diggs and arguably catapult them to the top of the league when he was there in 2017. But not only that, he got efficiency out of Dalvin Cook, and that's what you need is you need that one-two punch. And I think that's what Denver's missing because honestly if it ain't one thing it's another we haven't really seen uh us clicking on all eight off offensively you know since probably 2015 and 16 i think that was the last time you really got you asked for and received uh the same amount of responsibility from the receivers and your running back but we can only hope that we're going to see the same efficiency and you know Damn it! Hopefully we see a postseason. That's what I want. I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for this offense to get us there just enough to put us in in the driver's seat in the AFC West. So just get us, yeah. just get us in the dance. I mean, that's all we really need to do. I mean, look at the <clears throat> look at the Titans at this point. No one gave them a chance. And honestly, if there's one team out there that can beat the Chiefs, it's uh, a team that's just going to run the ball down your throat and keep Patrick Mahomes off the side of the field. So honestly, if the Broncos are rooting for any team in the league right now, 
it's the Titans because they can really mold their team after that. And and if I'm Shermer, man, if I'm the Broncos, I'm taking note off that. I mean, how they're how they're able to attack. Kudos to to not only Mike Rabel, but Derrick Henry has been that offense. I mean, Ryan Tannehill's been playing lights out this postseason, which is shocking. And I'm biting my words on that. I'm I'm gulping them. But uh, Derrick Henry, man, 195 yards against Baltimore, and they were the number two, number three rush defense uh, in the postseason. So I mean, like. He's been playing great football, and now you go up against a team that was what 18th overall yeah, in terms of rush not. defense. <laughs> not, like not a good rush defense. They were right there with Denver, actually, in terms of and run defense this year. I think uh, Denver had one up on them at the very end of the season. But uh, I, it, the the atmosphere around here, you hear, oh, you know, uh, Derrick Henry. I, I, this is a this is a bye week. We can get in, you know, get past the Titans, get right into the championship. I would. Be, I would be hesitant to say that, Kansas City. but uh, and, and if I can add in, I mean, the Broncos did shut down this amazing freak of nature Derrick Henry when we faced him. True. That is true. We shut down. We shut down Houston, too. <laughs> Man, we should have just if we if we if you start Drew Locke and get him off of injury reserve, I think we're in the postseason. I think this year we break our woes and get into the postseason. But that's a whole different story. I mean, John Alley put it best. I mean, he, he keeps bringing it up in almost every uh, press conference he talks about. It's it's not about beating the Raiders. It's not about beating the Chargers. It's about beating the Chiefs. I mean, you go into every single draft trying to beat your own division. And right now, the Broncos have beat the Raiders. They've handled the Chargers. And honestly, they got beat like a redheaded stepchild against the, the Chiefs. Um, by a backup quarterback, and it, just, it. it wasn't it wasn't a Mahomes thing, and and then when they finally did face Mahomes, they just they got wrecked. So honestly, they've got a lot of work to do, but the pieces are there. Um, yeah. If we're talking about a uh, Pat Shermer offense, uh, one more thing to add about that: I know a lot of people are they're either super excited about him or they're down on him. The guy's not going to come in here and reinvent the wheel. I mean, we're not going to be looking at a wildcat offense. We're not going to be jumping from you know was it 20th offense to a top five, but mm-hmm. the guy is going to write the ship and start getting us headed in the right direction. And more importantly, he's going to start taking care of and calling plays that make sense for our young quarterback. Mm-hmm. All right. So Pat Shermer's the new offensive coordinator. We can only hope the best for this Broncos offense before I let you go. I know that you wanted to bring up and I don't have the, the, the point next to me, but I think you wanted to bring up uh, Connor McGovern kind of talk about him real quick going into the off season. Uh, we, we were going to discuss, I, I, you can go ahead and elaborate on the topic at hand. Um, I know that yeah. Connor McGovern was a thing of discussion, but go right ahead, man. Yeah, it was um, part of our uh, pay or let go uh, free agency list that we're starting. Mm-hmm. Um, last last week, we covered Justin Simmons. Um, this week, I just wanted to touch on a guy that um, a lot of people are kind of torn on just for the simple fact of, I mean, you've got him, uh, former Mizzou player, played yep. with uh, Drew Locke. Um, you've got that whole connection, but... Are, is anyone really wanting to pay upwards of ten and a half million per year for Connor McGovern? Who, which I mean that that unification and that bond between them is great and all, but I mean I'll find much less. Um, I'll find much less elsewhere. And you could definitely evaluate that um, in the draft. 
that talking about i mean centers don't really go go that uh go that early but i was evaluating some names here that we could take a look at you know wisconsin had a uh, tower be it uh be it i can't pronounce the name Biades, i want to say yeah. tower Biades uh, out of wisconsin 321 uh 321 pounds he's a junior out of wisconsin once again he's the number one according to mel kuyper uh Looking at some other names, Cesar Ruiz. I've heard a couple a couple of times in connection with Denver. Um, any direction, maybe in in the draft that you might look at if you're the Denver Broncos in. Absolutely, I've got um, I've got one guy here that honestly he cannot play any other position on the football field except for center, just be based on his size. But Nick Harris from Washington is mm-hmm. a born center. I mean, the guy is. I mean, honestly, he's. If he's six one, you know I'm six one. But I mean, the guy is short. But honestly, I we haven't had a um, set center um, that we can like, you know, really um, build our entire offense around since Matt Paradis. And honestly, if we're looking at uh, how the Broncos treated Matt Paradis, I mean, they kept just basically basic tendering him every single year which i mean again i think as a gm um and i'm going to want the cheapest option at all times that's best for my organization but we it'd it'd be great to finally just pay find and play uh one center and nick harris would be great out of washington um another guy from uh mississippi state is daryl williams uh solid development development I can't say it right now, <laughs> but developmental guy, uh, long-term at center is, um, another good option. Yeah. Um, I, I was looking at some names here. I'm a little biased when I say this, but, uh, you know, I look at, Tri- he's undersized, uh, and Tristan Colon Castillo, I know another Missouri center, uh, but you know, if worse comes to worse, he's expected to be. Yeah, seventh undrafted really is what I, what I'm expecting. Seventh round, maybe in the later rounds, sixth or seventh. But uh, he I deserves him. he deserves to go in the ninth round with a name like that, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm True. not saying that every time. True. Um, but I mean, if we're looking at free agency, it it is ugly, and we are. Connor McGovern is the best center in free agency, but. How much is that due to, you know, having a mobile quarterback um, on the last, what, back half of the season? Yeah. A guy like Ted Karras from, uh, I believe, uh, New England. Honestly, he's 26 years old, coming from a great system, coming from an even better, um, some would say, um, offensive line coach. Why not Ted Karras? Um, you can definitely get him for a, a lighter uh, checkbook. These are the times that you miss Matt Paradis. (laughs) Definitely, he was he was an anchor point for the offensive line when he played for us. And I mean, glad he's doing good in Carolina. But gosh, it would be nice to have his services back. We were spoiled having a set it and forget it kind of player there. Exactly. Well, for Alex Valdez. I'm Keegan Hartman. I hope everyone has a great rest of their week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hopefully the weather is nicer where you are listening to this podcast instead of where I am. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for tuning in for the second episode, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. See you.